This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've reached the end of a pretty shameful week, ladies and gentlemen, in the history of Western diplomacy. Tragically, it's resulted in a deadly attack on US troops, Afghan civilians and even members of the Taliban. As well, Al-Qaeda offshoot ISIS-K claimed responsibility last night for two terrorist attacks at Kabul airport, which killed at least 108 people and for which the death toll is almost certain to rise. And it wasn't even as if it wasn't expected because for two whole days, Western intelligence had been told that this attack was imminent and very, very serious. 13 American lives have been lost. President Joe Biden threatened to hunt down those responsible. But US troops and everyone else at the airport are still vulnerable to suicide attacks as they are almost impossible to prevent in crowded areas where thousands of people are still awaiting rescue. This morning, Ben Wallace, Defence Secretary, announced that Britain will end the evacuation effort in hours after presumably working out that our troops cannot guarantee the safety of people on the ground or even their own presence there. And I'd have to say... Thank goodness for Ben Wallace. Thank goodness for British uh, ingenuity in this area, because Britain is far better at dealing with this kind of thing, clearly, than the Biden administration. And thanks to the abject failure of Biden's US policy, which left 100,000 people stranded and at the mercy of the bloodthirsty Taliban, by the end of this week, he's now had to rely on their fighters to safeguard his own forces. What an absolute shambles and how preventable was it all? This morning, we will be asking the question, what exactly was the point of any of it? Bob Seeley MP joins us a little bit later on. He's already said that he thinks Joe Biden is gaga. That's not exactly parliamentary language. And Richard Tice is here uh, calling for him to be impeached. I expect them both to be as angry about all of this as I am. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll bring you the latest news as it happens throughout the morning. So don't go anywhere. We'll also be bringing the news that doctors who are now seeing less than half of their patients face-to-face will actually now be paid to do more online consultations, as if they didn't need any further incentives not to do their jobs. We've got lots more going on, but the most important story of the day, obviously, is the dominating one that comes from Afghanistan this morning. We want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And it's time to say a very good morning to Richard Tice. Richard, it's not a very good morning. It's an absolutely horrific morning. Um, but thank you for joining us. Well, I mean, I mean I... Pleasure, Mike. I think, as you say, it's a morning. It's impossible to say it's a good morning, yeah. given uh, the horrific events of yesterday when, and as you just said there, in a sense, uh, intelligence had obviously informed them that something terrible was going to mm. happen, that there was going to be a terrorist attack, and sure enough, uh, this horrendous terrorist group, ISIS-K, who've claimed responsibility, have carried out an unbelievably deadly attack. And you sort of, as every day goes by, you think it couldn't get any worse, and then tragically, Mm. it does. Yes. And uh, who knows what's uh, what's ahead of us, but you just look back at the last three weeks, uh, you know, this, this, this absolutely sort of, cataclysm of events that have just spiralled down a, a black hole of, 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 of doom and, and catastrophic political leadership. And, you know, all roads lead back to the President of the United States, supposedly the leader of the world, the free world, mm. and um, the Commander-in-Chief. And, uh, you know, I suspect many, many people, even some of his supporters, must be questioning yeah. whether or not he really is 
fit to well, be commander in chief. Well, even his, his media cheerleaders are beginning to now see what a terrible mistake it was to elect this man to be president, not just of the United States, but basically to run the world, as you say, because he's put us all in danger. We were talking last week about how, you know, it almost feels as though anything's possible because it looks as though the West has lost the grip of, of, of what it used to, to be in charge of. And with every move that he made, with every speech that he made, he made it worse because I think even just the other night when he said, we're definitely not... Uh, going beyond August the 31st. What do you think that had as an effect on ISIS-K? Yeah. They probably went, well, we better do the bombing tomorrow then. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know? it is just incredible. And then you saw his speech last night. And you know, this is a man who, it is now abundantly clear, uh, has got major issues with, uh, you know, frankly, with his ability to recall mm. information, to recall events. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think the, Amer- the American people need to ask serious questions about his capability. Yeah. And, and the reality is, and the reason that I tweeted out, you know, frankly, the Americans should be considering impeaching him, mm. is because at the moment we are all far, far less safe than we were just three weeks ago. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the world order appears to have changed. The, the, the world order we've known for 70 years has, has changed in literally two to three weeks. Mm. You read in the Times this morning that uh, China and Russia have issued essentially a joint statement uh, saying that they will work with the Taliban and and, and look forward to being mm. supportive, and you know what that means. Mm. Uh, it, and so this is a massive, massive shift. So we are less safe now. You've got terror groups uh, in Afghanistan, uh, essentially at war with the Taliban yes. themselves. I mean, it's a pretty strange world we live in, where all of a sudden the Taliban seem to be the governing regime who are fighting yes. terror groups. And how bizarre to see a statement from a leader of the Taliban talking about denouncing terrorist atrocities. And you kind of go, sorry, beg your pardon. You, know, just... you, you literally have to take a double take yeah. and reread it. Yes. It is so extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that we all feel so uncomfortable with, that you're relying on the goodwill of the Taliban... Uh, and their support uh, in order to help these evacuations take place and to try and reduce yeah. the likelihood of further terrorist yeah. um, atrocities. And I mean, ISIS-K are coming from the kind of uh, the ashes, if you like, of al-Qaeda. Uh, and there was an interesting tweet put out last night by Kayleigh uh, McEnany, who used to be the White House press secretary under Trump. She says, as one high-level Trump official reminded me today, when we walked out the door on January the 20th, Soleimani was dead, al-Baghdadi was dead, ISIS was decimated, al-Qaeda was destroyed. And and so and in seven months here we are, and and in a sense, what that just highlights is the war on terror is never over, because you know as fast as you deal with one group, uh, you know key leaders, then new ones emerge. You have to be absolutely relentless uh, in 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 focusing on on uh, you know at, attacking these people, uh, identifying them, finding them, yeah. and, and stopping them. And it's quite clear that uh, the Biden regime. Uh, have you know th- th- they completely gone soft on this and this this sort of isolationist approach uh, that Biden and his administration his 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 key White House people have adopted has been absolutely catastrophic. What's happened to uh, you know the the global policeman that uh, that we all knew under? Uh, it, it raises huge questions about uh, our place in the world uh, for the West for NATO. Uh, you know the sort of resources we're going to have to apply to uh, to defense uh, and how much we can rely on uh, you know well, also, on the it, US what, when Biden's in charge yeah, and what does, what does anyone in the west think is going to happen i mean when biden says this is a question that i was asked this morning when biden says he's going to hunt them down 
How exactly is he going to hunt them down if America's withdrawing its forces? Yeah. Is he leaving some forces there? Uh, is he going to plan on launching some kind of uh, small forces, special forces attack on them? I mean, I think we all know what he thinks he means, but clearly he's not a very threatening individual, is he? No, I mean, the reality is that having conducted a total withdrawal, uh, you know, which is nearing its, its, its final hours and days, mm. uh, the, there's no effective presence there. No. I mean, I think the, the decision taken to abandon... Uh, a Bagram Air Base uh, north of Kabul yeah. will, will I think look uh, historically monumentally foolish mm. because that could have been a uh, a base on which to to retain a presence yes. to retain some oversight to retain some yeah. leverage and and apparently it's also a bigger all, all, area than than Kabul Airport is and it would be e- far easier to defend because it's not in the middle of the town correct you know, yes all no, of those it's, it's that that's right and uh, you know it's where it's where all of the allied forces was i mean it was it was a huge town in itself mm. it was absolutely enormous yeah and and all of that has has gone and then you've got the issue that we there was a a, a tweet out yesterday of a of a video uh, of a former soldier, the American congressman, yeah. I think it was, who who gave a list of the weaponry yeah. that has been left behind. Uh, presumably, that was obviously left with the Afghan army. Yeah, but just the the incompetence. This is the eighty-seven billion. The, the eighty-seven billion dollars worth yeah. of of equipment, hundreds of airplanes mm. and helicopters, tens Apparently, of yeah, thousands they, of vehicles. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know we all know that all of this kit. Uh, has a value, mm. and it's going to start appearing uh, all, all over the world mm. in other places. The thought of rogue states mm. flying Black Hawk helicopters. Now, I guess we can only hope that the complexity of maintaining those and flying them means that that, that, that becomes too difficult. You know, but yeah, but this, who knows? Where, this is then where you get the Chinese and the Russians coming in, going, "Well, we can do that for you." There you are. We can maintain all your stuff. And, and, and they've now got apparently more um, attack helicopters, Apache attack helicopters, than 80% of countries in the world. It just, I mean, it was so shocking. And you just go, I mean, I, I find myself kind of doing a double take now because as I was coming in this morning, I'm thinking, you know, two weeks ago, we didn't need any of this. We didn't have any of this. We didn't realise that this was going to happen. It seems to have just happened because we've been t- because the West, America, specifically Joe Biden, has caused it to happen. Well, well of course, the reason that we didn't realise was because actually it, it, it was just quietly uh, going along as part of sort of daily business. Mm. You know, NATO had less than 10,000 troops. We had seven or 800. Mm. The US had two to 3,000. And it was quietly just just holding what was a, a fragile, far from mm. perfect peace. But Biden's administration has turned a a res- respectable holding position in a geopolitically, strategically important part of the world. Uh, you know that was being held, and all of that literally uh, has 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 gone, mm. and and everything that's gone with it. And we've ended up with 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 chaos atrocities and a complete destabilization uh, of, of of the whole region and and so much of it is up for grabs uh, it's it's absolutely mind-blowing the implications yeah. of it it really is and I was reading a piece in the Wall Street Journal this morning about a guy called Khorasani uh, who was Abu Omar Khorasani who was the head uh, of the Islamic State in Afghanistan many years ago who had been connected to this ISIS-K he was in prison in Kabul when the Taliban came in and he was waiting basically for them to arrive and kill him. And he and eight of his fellow fighters were killed, executed on the very first day the Taliban came in. Now, I had no idea that that was even a thing. I didn't know that there was such an organisation as ISIS-K. I don't think anybody did. Um, And obviously the attack yesterday was in response to that. 
Yes, and you know we're all learning fast mm. about you know you've got, you've got the terror groups. It's it's unclear how big ISIS K is. Mm. Uh, you know, is, or whether is it a they've couple got, of thousand? have they got cells in Europe? And, and, and this is the you unknown. Know? And in a sense, that's why we will have to be unbelievably vigilant. Mm. Uh, vigilant. We will have to invest a lot more in uh, intelligence, yeah. in counterterrorism. And that's why, sadly, we are all, uh, wherever we are in the world, we are all less safe yeah. than we were. And I make no apology ago. to any lefty who's about to be offended by what I'm going to say. But this is at the same time as we're welcoming with open arms probably as many as 20,000 people coming to this country on dinghies from all sorts of places like Iran, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, as far as we know, North Africa. You know, are any of them in ISIS-K? I mean, I don't know. It's a question worth asking. The truth is, we have no idea. But given that quantity of people, one has to have concerns. And uh, this will will get worse. Mm. And, you know, they've got, they absolutely hate the West, uh, they, they've got their, their extreme ideology and we're going to have to be unbelievably uh, alert and vigilant to the dangers Biden, ahead of us. Yeah, and Biden's failure will end up costing more lives yeah, this, in Europe. This is, all, this is all on him. Who knows what President Trump would have done if he'd still been in power. Mm. In a sense, um, it's hypothetical. But the reality is no one, surely, uh, could have been as incompetent, as strategically foolish mm. and short-sighted yeah. as President Biden. And he's put he's put us all at risk. Yeah. That is the reality yeah. of it. And Leon Panetta, who's a former Secretary of State um, for, for, I think it was for um, uh, the the Obama administration, has said already in an interview yesterday, I think it was on Channel 4, um, we'll probably be back in Afghanistan in a couple of years anyway. So, I mean, it was all for nothing, wasn't it? Well, who knows? Uh, I, I think that's probably... Uh, who knows? Uh, that has to be unlikely. But... Uh, the implications. And, you know, we in the UK and with other uh, non-US NATO allies, we're going to have to have a serious, serious reassessment mm. of of our dis- defence capabilities, our logistic capabilities, because we always used to rely on the US to provide the logistics, the air cover, the mm. air support. Well, if we can no longer rely on that, then we have to consider the implications of that. Mm. And, and I think, you know, there's going to be some really deep soul-searching uh, you know, I mean, we've got one of the best uh, militaries in the world. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is we're going to have to invest more been, in it. But we've been pairing it back. And that's the next question. Well, you know, is it now time to start rebuilding uh, our own military? It, it, in my view, no question at all. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to invest more in defense uh, across all the levels from boots on the ground to, uh, you know, to the to the Air Force. Uh, to the you know the really high tech yeah. stuff. I mean, our uh, speciality has really been special forces, hasn't it? Over the years, that the Americans have actually always said, you know, the British special forces are what we need here because they're the best at what they do. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to have to have more. Uh, we, we're going to need more ships to provide more cover for the aircraft carriers, so that we can actually, mm. uh, you know, we can conduct proper operations and proper logistical support where it's needed. Yeah. So yeah, our, our defence budget of uh, give or take two percent. Uh, that's going to have to go significantly northwards yeah. uh, if we are to, uh, you know, to, to maintain our role in the world and also to make sure that we are keeping UK citizens safe. Well, perhaps Boris Johnson could borrow some of his money from the green agenda and start putting it into actually keeping the people safe. There's not much point uh, in having a nice green-friendly house if somebody's going to turn up and put a bomb through the letterbox. Well, there you are. That's the, these are all the debates that are, that are going to um, they are going to uh, flow without question mm. over the coming months. 
uh, and years ahead up until the uh, to the next general election, yeah. without question Absolutely at all. Absolutely right. Richard Tice is here with us. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Uh, it is a dark day uh, for Americans and for American presence uh, in Afghanistan. Um, 13 American soldiers are dead. There's 108 people dead altogether. It could rise to 200. It's been a shocking terrorist attack. It was all preventable. People knew it was going to happen, and yet it still was allowed to happen. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK. Online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're here with Richard Tice, leader of Reform UK, of course, Talk Radio presenter as well on Sunday. Uh, you'll be back on Sunday at 10 o'clock. Back on Sunday, um, looking forward to it. It's hard to know what happens between now and then, really, in terms of where you know the news takes us. But, I mean, Boris Johnson has come out and now basically said what I said the other day, uh, funnily enough, about the Afghan refugees and also about the migrant crossings, that you're going to need to build literally an entire town uh, the size of Hailsham, basically, to take all of the Afghan refugees that we're bringing into the country. And then another town the size of Hailsham to, to accommodate all the people who have arrived on dinghies. And, and, and so it goes on. Yeah. And, and we haven't got enough room for two versions of well, Hailsham, have we? I mean, the reality is, you know, we've got huge, huge sympathy for, uh, you know, all of the refugees mm. coming out of, uh, Af- out of Afghanistan. Uh, you know, it should have been organised earlier, but we are where we are. And now, uh, essentially, across the whole of the UK, uh, the authorities have got to step up to find accommodation. But, you know, it is going to put huge additional pressure on uh, on our infrastructure, on our housing, on our GP surgeries. That's another whole story. On schools. Well, on I schools. see we, we've so, got a story coming up in a moment that we're going to do, uh, in which apparently GPs are going to receive co- uh, incentives to see people online rather than in person. It's as if we don't need to give them any more incentives to do it. Let's be very clear. Uh, GPs need incentives to see people mm, face-to-face, exactly. not online. Mm. And uh, the last thing, I, in my view, you should be doing is, is giving them uh, more of the wrong type of incentives. Mm, mm. So, uh, you know, that's a uh, that's, that's an ongoing right, but issue. We've got the schools problem. Um, let's talk about that for a minute as well, because I did a rant the other day about, uh, you know, this ridiculous n- nuance that they now say 12-year-olds can decide for themselves whether they want to have the vaccine. I mean, well, when, I did mean this this be- is, when did this start? This is, uh, this is such a divisive issue, mm. and it is clear that there is the mother of all rows going on. Reading in the, the Times today... Uh, a senior government source suggesting that the JCVI, the Joint Committee for uh, Vaccination and Immunisation, that gives the approval that, that from day one of the vaccination programme uh, has set the priority, they are holding back giving approval because of their concerns. We know there have been concerns there. Uh, there's, I, I've heard so much as that actually the government even changed the constituency of the panel of the mm. JCVI in order to get them to give the approval, which they eventually did. Uh, second time of asking on 16 to 17 year olds but only for one dose that shows how concerned yes. the JCVI is they're not prepared to give them two doses only one right and so it's not but exactly it's quite a endorsement is it? Th- this idea that in a sense the NHS they've been recruiting uh, people to, to jab children so in a sense they're all moving ahead mm. uh, like a steamroller heading down the hill regardless of whether or not it's been given approval by the JCVI and the idea that 12, 13, 14 year olds uh, could decide for themselves, potentially against their mm. parents' wishes, to be vaccinated, yeah. I think is, uh, it's it's a very it's bad place. It's quite sinister. Well, I said yesterday, I mean, it's one thing for us to be nudged into doing things by these maniacs at SAGE, these behavioural scientists, but it's actually quite a sinister thing to try and influence children, isn't it? Uh, well, and, and the idea that you think that children 
uh, are able to make that decision for themselves. Look, I believe in freedom of choice. And uh, there, there are many parents uh, who, who want to get their mm. children vaccinated, but it has to be their decision. Yeah. It can't be, you know, pressure, coercion, um, sort of almost well, perhaps bully, school, almost bullying perhaps at the school. Perhaps the school would be okay if, uh, if your 12-year-old, if you had one, um, wanted to go and have 20 Marlboros around the back of the school sheds. How about that? Yeah, I choose to smoke now. Is that all right? I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is, is so wrong and it's so divisive mm. and it's so against everything that we've always stood for. And I say, yes, you know, um, many parents will be happy to have their children vaccinated, but many millions of parents will not. And, you know, I think that we, we've got to respect that freedom of choice rather than coercing and bullying and pretending uh, that it's all absolutely fine mm. and normal. Uh, you know, I just think it's I think we are in a, a very bad place on this. And at a time when actually we need to pull people together to learn to live with this, yes. to to, in a sense, stoke more division, more anxiety. Uh, more angry debate is, mm. is completely the wrong way mm. to go about And this. also, once again, to move away from the educational aspect of what schools are supposed to be doing. Because let's face it, most schools have not really been educating anyone for the best part of the last year. You know, my kids don't feel as if they've been at school at all, really. Um, so this was an opportunity in September for them to go back yeah. to basics. Forgive that phrase. I know it was associated yep. with John Major. But, you know, go back, actually start learning things and start going to school in order to be at school, not in order to wear a mask, not to take a test, not to take a but, jab, you know. But I'm hearing I'm hearing from heads that I'm in touch with that the focus all, is all about the testing and the implication is it's going to then be all about uh, the vaccinating. Mm. And so, as you say, it takes away the focus from the critical issue of educating our children uh, and trying to start catching up uh, you know, the lost education over the last sort of 15 mm. to 18 months that they've all suffered from so severely. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, I think it's, uh, again, it, it, it's really serious. We've got to get the kids, uh, you know, being educated in classrooms. You saw a university last week saying, well, you can't stay at the university and uh, you can't take part in certain activities mm. if, you've, if you haven't been vaccinated. It's just the thin end of the wedge. Mm. You see which way this is going. It is so wrong. It really is. It absolutely is. Now, Richard, you've always got something good for us on a Sunday. Uh, what can you... Yes, well, I, I'm urging your listeners and viewers, Mike, mm. to listen in uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday uh, because I, on my new Sunday spotlight, mm. uh, I have got an expose on a utilities company. Excellent. I'm going to be talking about that. Uh, I'm very much trying to bring a, a new spotlight on a particular issue every Sunday morning. So even though it's Bank Holiday Weekend, yeah. tune in. Uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Absolutely. Good advice. That's what you should be doing on a Sunday morning. What else is there to do on a Sunday morning anyway? You can go to church if you want, but I don't think you'll be saved. I suppose that's probably against the rules. Take the AirPods. You can to... still listen. Yeah. You can multitask. Absolutely. Multi yeah, take the AirPods. Listen to that rather than the sermon. It's very good. Uh, Richard Tice on Sunday, 10 o'clock. Don't miss it. We'll be back uh, with you uh, and your calls and more stories about the National Health Service failing. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We've got lots of other things to talk about as well, not least uh, one of my campaigns, which we've been fighting for a while now here at Talk Radio, uh, which is that GPs are at the moment currently, generally speaking, only seeing about half the number of um, patients that they used to see. They're now being told that there's going to be an incentive scheme started so that they can be paid actually more to see people and to take patients online. Let's talk now to Dennis Reed, who's director of Silver Voices, to find out what he makes of it. Dennis, very good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I, I've been getting a series of messages, tweets, people calling me for weeks and weeks and weeks now, people who are really struggling to see doctors, having trouble getting their uh, doctors to see their elderly relatives. It's a real crisis at the moment, I think, in, in GP surgeries around the country. 
This idea that they should now be given incentives not to see people seems extraordinary. It, it is extraordinary, and I've been getting the same messages for months now. Um, and obviously, during the pandemic, we understand the reasons why there was a lot of uh, remote consultations going on. Mm. But the medical establishment seems to want to make these changes permanent. Um, and, you know, all these um, these incentives that you're, you're talking about is very worrying indeed. And it almost seems that the government as well, even though it's saying that, um, you know, patients' preference should be respected by GPs, it, it appears that green light is being given by the government, or at least NHS England, mm. uh, to GPs to go go far more in this direction. And it's very worrying for our older members who yes. are not very technology able in certain circumstances well I'm, yeah i'm looking at some figures here uh, which suggest that something like four hundred and twenty thousand fewer patients were seen face to face in the month of july alone and overall the total number of consultations reduced by 1.1 million so i mean it's a big problem this because for an awful lot of people that talk to me and i'm sure talk to you dennis as well you know seeing a doctor is, is an important part of, the, of their kind of you know lives in, in the sense that you know doctors can see the patient that they know quite well, they can see whether the patient is not feeling particularly well or looks as though they might have something that you can't tell uh, on an online consultation, you can't put on an e-consult document. You know, people people are human, they need to see each other. Yeah, I mean, there's many conditions which you could you can you can only diagnose if you're in physical proximity uh, with the uh, with the patient. Uh, you know, what about the days, you know, when the doctor would look at the whole person and, mm. you know, take their have a look at their heart um you know make sure ask them questions about um about their physical health but the, the physical proximity and the confidence that comes with that is very important a lot of older people are not comfortable even talking over the phone no. uh with the doctor about their symptoms and they'll be naturally reluctant perhaps to say what the real circumstances mm. are what the real condition is and an awful lot of people as well aren't really able always to talk on the phone. I mean, I've had people say to me, it's all very well saying, oh, the doctor will call you soon. But that window can sometimes be three or four hours. And at that time, they could either be possibly in a shop or something like that. Or when the doctor calls, they might be at work and they're in an open sort of workspace and they might not wish to talk about whatever it is that's, that's a problem. And I just don't understand why doctors seem to think, and I know that some people are quite happy doing it, but why doctors seem to think that if you want to see a doctor, you shouldn't be allowed to see one. Well, exactly. And that's why we've got a petition on the government web website at the moment, right. which is calling on the government to create a legal right for patients to uh, to see their, their, their GPs face to face. Now, that would put an end to all this, because if somebody had expressed a preference, they would have a right to see a GP in a timely fashion. Mm. Um, that, I mean, that's what we want to see happen, because otherwise there is this remorseless direction um, of going remote on everything. I mean, I even heard uh, today that physiotherapy appointments are now being done by phone in some areas. <laughs> now, how can how, how, uh, a, a member of ours rang up and said, uh, rang me up and said, um, you know, I've got a physiotherapy appointment. I didn't realise it was going to be a telephone call. Well, with so a are, few you links. To, are you supposed to manipulate your own limbs now? Well, well, no. The answer to that is um, they give you a few um, uh, web links to right. uh, online exercises.
That's money for old rope for a lot of these people as well. So they don't actually have to leave their living room. Uh, they get paid the same amount. It's not surprising that that's what they want to do. I mean, I'm told by a lot of people that when they do, if they ever do try to get inside of a GP surgery, there's quite often hardly anybody actually working there. They've got possibly one person, you know, receptionist or something like that. But most of the doctors are not physically there. Well, yeah, they, they're called care navigators now, the oh, yeah. uh, receptionist. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and their aim navigators. is... To, it, it, yeah, exactly. It, their, their, their aim is to actually divert people away yeah. from the GP. Yeah. Um, in, you know, maybe say you need a physiotherapy appointment or you need to talk to our pharmacist, uh, anything but see the GP. I mean, the most ridiculous sign I think I've seen in the history of ridiculous signs was uh, earlier on this week when somebody sent me a sign that was outside their GP's office, which said, please do not enter if you are feeling unwell. Um, <laughs> and I'm going, excuse me, this is a doctor's surgery. Why do they only want to see people who are not unwell? What's going on? Yeah, yes. I, I mean, yeah, we have we have a good laugh about it, quite rightly. But it, it is a serious matter. I mean, yeah. uh, one of one of our members also had a, a worrying mole. Um, and rang um, rang the um, the surgery uh, and for an appointment and was told to send a JPEG photo of their mole, which Incredible. happened to be on their which happened to be on their back, and they didn't know what a JP, JPEG photo was anyway. Right. Um, so I mean that's the sort of nonsense that we're getting at the moment. Yes. And is it actually NHS England who's to blame for this? Because a lot of people blame the government. Usually they're the lefty union types who don't like to uh, to talk about the Tories because they think they want to sell off the NHS. Um, but it's actually not the government. It, a lot of this is being ordered by NHS management, isn't it? Yeah, but the government does need to get a grip on it. Um, you know, the, the government has overall responsibility for mm. NHS England. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair to NHS England, they have sent out guidance saying that patient preference should be respected as far as face-to-face appointments um, are concerned. Yes. Uh, and it's the medical establishment which is actually ignoring that. Mm. So between NHS England and the government, they do need to get a grip on this. And where can people find this petition of yours, Dennis? If you could put it onto Twitter, I'd be very happy to retweet it for you. It's on our our website, uh, www.silvervoices.co.uk. And you can easily get get the link there. Okay, I'll see if I can do that. But very good to talk to you, Dennis. Just one more thing before I let you go. You've also been uh, been quite active in campaigning about the BBC licence fee. Um, yes. More and more people, it seems, are not willing to pay it anymore. Uh, is it on the way out? Do you think? I'm not sure. The, I'm I'm not sure that the uh, the BBC is actually doing itself any good in protecting the future of the licence. If they want to keep a licence fee, then they need to actually sort out the over seventy five situation. Yes, I think they need to do. I when you mean when you say sort out, meaning they shouldn't be charged. They should. They should be restoring the free license. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely right. And that's enough money for Gary Lineker and his ilk. Uh, they can give the money to the people who actually deserve it. It's a good idea, Dennis Reed. Thank you very much, Director of Silver Voices. Go to the website. I'll try and find that link for you and put it out on Twitter because I think um, Dennis is onto something. As indeed are we. Uh, we need to hear your stories. I know many of you have already sent them into us, but do keep sharing, please. Your stories of struggle, struggling to see a GP. Uh, the stories get more bizarre by the day. So unless it's got any better, I'm assuming we still have a massive problem uh, and we will be campaigning and we will join with uh, Silver Voices to get their uh, petition uh, up to the number requisite number so that people have to debate it in Parliament because surely now is the time to start telling the NHS not to give incentives to doctors for not seeing patients but to give incentives to doctors for seeing them otherwise everything's in the wrong direction isn't it it's upside down topsy-turvy and it's all nonsense. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm sorry to say that the uh, circumstances are rather inauspicious for this conversation. Bob Seeley and I used to speak quite a bit when we were down uh, in the Brexit world of, uh, of College Green down at Westminster. Bob, welcome back to the show. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning to your listeners. Thank you very much uh, indeed. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Bob, even before this dreadful business happened yesterday when the uh, the suicide attack came, uh, was that you'd been quite outspoken about Joe Biden just the other day. And it does seem uh, with every statement, with every press conference that he gives, he sort of makes the situation worse, doesn't he? Well, it, one shouldn't just blame Biden because I think Trump was a dreadful president for ethical reasons. And sadly, Biden seems to be a very inadequate president for health reasons, judgment reasons, but he's compounded Trump's awful deal with the Taliban um, by just trying to pull out as effectively as quickly as possible with no preconditions. And nobody was forcing the Americans out. Nobody was forcing NATO out. This isn't just America's failure. The French and the Germans and the Spanish and the Italians and NATO through their complete inaction here bear responsibility because effectively they hived out um, their defense, their forward defense to the United States. So it's shameful on many appalling levels. But just a final point on this, when Biden said yesterday, we'll hunt down those responsible, I mean, for heaven's sake, those responsible were in prison until a month ago, and they're only out because the Americans have pulled out. So they're now going to hunt the people that they spent a great deal of time and money putting in prison in the first place. It, it makes no sense. It really doesn't. And it's interesting. I was reading a piece in the Wall Street Journal this morning, which I referred to uh, in the first hour. And, and you're right to say that a lot of the ISIS-K people were in prison, but an awful lot of them were then executed by the Taliban as they moved into those prisons. Freed, well, a, freed a lot of them. There's a guy, there's a bloke called, um, where can I find his name, uh, Khorasani. Uh, who was apparently the leader of the Islamic State in Afghanistan, he was executed along with eight other people who were thought to be part of ISIS-K. I mean, obviously, this attack may be revenge for that. Uh, it may be. I, I mean, I'm just wary. I, I read all this stuff about the Taliban being opposed to isis Khorasan and all that stuff. I mean, possibly. But the fact is that these people are out of prison now uh, and they have they made the decision to take these radicals out of prison. 
So the idea that the Taliban, we're going to be painting the Taliban as the least extreme of a couple of incredibly bad options, I, I think I, I don't quite buy. No, I think that's right. And I mean, you've got some experience of, of from, from your earlier days as, as a journalist of, of sort of surrounding countries uh, uh, around Tajikistan and that kind of area. And it's a very complicated part of the world, isn't it? You know, it's almost impossible to know whether if the Taliban start saying that they're against um, terrorist atrocities, you start to question your own sanity, don't you? You, you do slightly. I mean, I did. I, do, I was there um, a, a few times as a, as a, as a soldier um, after ending up in the, the reserve. Um, yes, I mean, the, the Taliban is half sort of Pashtun nationalist movement and half a religious movement as well. So there are moderate, you know, like all groups, there are moderate elements and, and some pretty even more extreme and unpleasant elements. And you can say that it was a strategic mistake not to try to bring moderate elements in because if you're being clever, you split your enemies. You don't just try to defeat them on the battlefield because that doesn't always work. You have to defeat them um, politically and diplomatically mm -hmm. by by splitting the groups and by finding people that you can deal with. So I think there are lots and lots of mistakes have been made on the way. But fundamentally, I, I think pulling out is, is going to be just a disaster. Yeah. Well, I fear that this is the beginning of something rather than the end of something, don't you? Well, we're back to where we started 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. We're going to... Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, clearly um, the world is now a more dangerous place than it was even just a month ago, because yeah. if, in fact, ISIS-K has people all over the place, which it may well do, I have no idea, um, they're going to be empowered, they're going to be emboldened, they're going to think, well, the Americans are a bit weak at the moment, and it's going to yeah. encourage them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there'll be a time lag, I suspect. So all these people that have come out of prison recently, they will start to kill people who put them there. So the, the, the Western-trained judges, the the special forces, the police, everyone who hasn't been able to get out um, and who ISIS and Al-Qaeda want to blame for their for their prison stint. I, I mean, I, as one of my tours there, I actually had to go into, I went into some of these prisons and actually had to go to try to talk to, um, you know, within the boundaries of the Geneva Convention and all that. I, I went and tried to talk to some of these people to understand their mindset. Um, the idea that, that ex-Al-Qaeda and ISIS-K fighters are going to go off to the Hindu Kush and do a bit of basket weaving and make pomegranate juice right. is, is for the birds. Um, they want to go to heaven, uh, killing as many people on route as possible. Uh, and we had solved uh, this problem or it was it was being it was preventable mm. because you had a, a pro-Western government with an American and NATO spine to do the intelligence and flying the helicopters, often through contractors. And one of the problems is as soon as the Americans pulled the money out, the contractors left and therefore the air power did as well mm. and the drones did as well, etc., etc. So it wasn't a great model because we didn't increase the capacity as much in the military sphere as we, as we could have. Mm. Uh, we left them without the kit they need. Um, and then the Taliban started to win on the ground. All this was preventable. It is a massive, massive strategic error. Mm. We should have kicked off earlier. It's true to say that almost no MP, sadly myself included, was was raising the alarm on this to anything like the extent that we should. That is a lesson that I, I will learn. And, you know, we are going to have a lot of debates about Ukraine and Taiwan because they're going to be next. Because the, you're talking about ISIS and the threat of ISIS and the threat of extremists. There are a lot of states, well, one or two states that are going to be very happy about, what, about what's happened recently. China because of Taiwan and, and, and Russia because of Ukraine. And Putin has always come out, uh, has already come out with statements only a few weeks ago, basically saying he didn't think Ukraine was a country. That is a signal. 
Well, it really is. And unfortunately for, for the West, it would appear that the way that the Russians dealt with their Islamic terror problem uh, is the only successful way to do it, which basically mm. involves crushing people. It, it, I mean, look, the, the Russians do things. Uh, I think there's an expression of Russian necrosivi no effective. No, it's not pretty, but it's effective. Uh, and it breaks a lot of laws doing it, mm. but they do have a way of dealing with it. But look, when it comes to the Taliban, I think the Russians and the Chinese will be absolutely clear. Um, as long as your extremists go west and not go north or east, we don't care. Exactly right. But the problem as well is it was all a bit of a facade because now that we're hearing about the wealth of minerals that, uh, that Afghanistan has, nobody seemed to talk about that a while ago. Um, surely the British and the, and the Americans should have been helping the people of Afghanistan to kind of harness all of that to become uh, wealthy individuals and or you know wealthy companies under the Afghan banner and under the flag of Afghanistan. And they should have also ensured that the president of the country was not a corrupt individual, shouldn't they? Yes, there's lots of things that we could do. I mean, when it uh, could be doing when it comes to our own presence, sir, I think one of the reasons one what grounds one can for things is culturally. You know, we went in there with a with a post-industrial, uh, almost post-gender model of a society, and it was a pretty sort of rigid template which we tried to impose effectively on a quasi-medieval society, which had been you know the battleground of various competing factions for the best part of forty years since the Russians invaded in 1979. Mm. I think we could have been uh, too much of our interaction with the outside world, sadly, is about a sort of narcissistic virtue signaling modern foreign policy where we show off our, our moral credentials rather than dealing with the world as it is. That does not mean that female education is not important. It is absolutely important. And the, and the truism that you give women education and men jobs as the best way to stop wars is absolutely true. But there are different ways to skin a cat, and we didn't do this one particularly well. No. And I think there was too much moral posturing and not enough going with the grain of society and working out what was achievable. And by doing that, and by coming across sometimes as an alien force, we probably drove some more conservative elements, especially in places like Helmand, especially in the Pashtun heartlands, back into the arms of the Taliban. So it was a foolish way on some levels to conduct ourselves, as noble as our goals are mm. and important as they are. Are you one of those, Bob, who thinks that we should have gone into Afghanistan when we did in order to root out Osama bin Laden and the Taliban because of 9-11, but that we then should have left and not tried to change the place? No, I don't think so. I think the, the, the huge strategic error was the Iraq war. I did say that back in 2005, so I'm not, I'm not just coming lately to it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I think there was a, a bit of a neocon revolution in Washington. Uh, they thought, we've done Afghanistan, now we'll go on to Iraq. We should have done Afghanistan properly. Yes, there was nation building there, but the reason why we were there, I mean, Joe Biden says it was a forever war. Well, not for the American troops, it hasn't been for several years, so that's untrue. Yes, I think that's right. And you were very critical of Biden this week. I mean, you, you were quoted as calling him Gaga. Um, do you think He's, that's yeah, right? Not, not in a nice way. Not, he can't sing. <laughs> no, quite. Well, let's, let's, let's hope he doesn't start doing that. But he doesn't no. look as if he's in control, does he? Uh, I, I, you've, got, you've got a question about whether he's got the ability, the mental um, ability to do the job. That's over and above. What, was Obama, what did Obama say about Biden? He said, um, never underestimate his, uh, I mean, I'll paraphrase, never underestimate his ability to make a duff call, I think was pretty much paraphrasing yeah. what Said. So he's got a, a record of poor judgment uh, and somewhat of isolationist. So it's a bit of a Democrat isolationist. Um, but I, I do think there are questions about his ability to actually deal with the, the, 
the world as it is, and is I think he might just be too old for the job. Age normally brings wisdom, and in Afghanistan, <clears throat> people who know that society they revere their their grey beards. Um, but I think sometimes the grey beards need to be retired, and I think Biden is a grey beard who's sadly passed his prime, and I think his decision making is pretty lamentable. Yes, I think it really is, and unfortunately, um, as I say, with every appearance at the uh, at the podium, he kind of mm. makes it worse. Because just the other day, he came out and said, "We're definitely leaving on August the thirty first. No ifs, ands, or buts." Which happened to be what the Taliban had told him anyway. Um, mm. And then suddenly, the following day, there's a suicide bomb. I know. Uh, I, I know. I mean, look, the problem is almost anything now. I know that the media are trying to look for a different. Well, not necessarily you might, because you're staying focused on what's important. But there are some people in the media trying to get a happy ending story or a change of narrative. Uh, I don't want to make people feel miserable coming up to the bank holiday, but on this issue, there is good news. Yeah. And any narrative about getting 50 fluffy dogs out of the country, sorry, is pretty well, sad. I think that, given what happened yesterday, is not even a conversation anymore. I mean, you can have as many arguments about that as you like before people actually die. But when people are dying, I think it's in rather poor taste, don't you? Uh, I think it is, yes. Yeah. But this is the thing. I believe now that we are in a far more dangerous place. We're approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, um, Afghanistan has gone back to where it was, as you said before. Um, is it now time for us, and I asked this question earlier to Richard Tice, is it now time for us to think about building up rather than cutting back on our own defences? I mean, the simple answer to that is probably yes, because we live um, in a much more dangerous world. Um, uh, and actually, Afghanistan should have been a success story. It should have been going against the trend of that more dangerous world. Mm. But because of this appalling decision by President by Trump and Biden, <clears throat> which we probably should have done a little bit more to try to counter, which the French and the Germans could have stepped up the breach to support because of the lack of collective action, intelligent collective action by the West is being made worse. But it's being made worse now, actually, by state power and aggression by the rise of the new authoritarianism in Russia and China. And they will look at a weakened West and think that they can push the boundaries of their own spheres of interest, of their own politics. And that means dis dismembering Ukraine, which is you're going to have another war in Eastern Europe yeah. um, and possibly a very significant confrontation in Taiwan. And do you think all of this has been going on really because everyone, particularly our own government, has been distracted by COVID. I mean, you would think that sometimes it's been the only story in town for the best part of a year and a half. I think it's somewhat by COVID, but I think there's a much longer term problem, which is that our parts of our society are, are absolutely gripped by a sort of loathsome self-hatred to do with uh, this parasitic creed of critical race theory and critical gender theory, mm. which are effectively intellectual cancers on our society. Mm. That doesn't mean our society is perfect, because it's not. But frankly, it's a damn sight better than almost anything else that we've seen in history, and it's a damn sight better than anything else going in the rest of the world. But if we are gripped by this form of unproductive, pathetic self-hatred, where we see morally flawed society as an example of a microaggression, how on earth are we going to be able to stand up to the Chinese and the Russians and their full frontal sort of artificial intelligence driven totalitarianism? It's yeah. just barking. Well, I also think it's pretty disgraceful to see these wallies from Extinction Rebellion throwing fake blood into the fountain outside Buckingham Palace when there's real blood being spilled uh, in another I, part uh, of the world. What a, what a bunch of middle class cretins. I know, absolutely. Well, so, 
Well said. And what about finally, Bob, the kind of the knock on effects, obviously, for the West as well? Because although America seems to be quite happy to state they don't want any Afghan refugees and not planning on bringing any in, um, the West obviously feels guilty about it. Uh, Western Europe feels guilty about it. You know, we will not be alone uh, in having to take possibly 20,000 plus Afghan refugees. You know, people in this country were promised uh, strong immigration controls. They were promised, um, you know, strong borders. Neither of those things have happened. What's your take on all that? It's a difficult one because, look, we absolutely have a, a moral um, a commitment to those Afghans who have worked closely with us. And there's no doubt about that. And we have to do the right thing. So uh, that for me is, is non-negotiable. You don't, you don't leave people to be killed. It's just appalling. Mm. Um, and there are people who are going to end up dying and have already died. Um, uh, whether people just, whether they, it was those who were just buying into a better way of doing things in Afghanistan or whether it was those people who were working closely with us. So we absolutely have to do the right thing. And you're right, you know, we have to do the right thing on Hong Kong. And I was one of those people who say, let's forget about quotas. Let's, you know, if 100,000 Hong Kongers come, come here, that's great. I think about 70,000 have applied and have gone through the programme. So you are looking at another 100,000 souls just mm. from Hong Kong and Afghanistan in the last 18 yeah. months. And, and, all, and all of that, I think, is, is, is acceptable. And all of that, I think, from, from most people's point of view, would be absolutely understandable and something we should do. However, with the background to that being another twenty five to 30,000 people possibly arriving illegally by dinghy, you know, it puts yeah. it in a slightly different ballpark, doesn't it? It, it does. I, I'm not quite sure what's happening on the dinghy front because I well, think nothing. it's very <laughs> for people to look at this and think, why aren't we pushing people back? Why aren't yeah. we making it illegal to come in this route. The idea that one Afghan, there's no difference between one Afghan and another Afghan is absolute nonsense. Mm. Because some of those people may be criminalised, some of those people may not have good intentions when they come here. The idea that sort of, oh, you should just take everyone because they're Afghans, therefore they're victims of Western imperialism or whatever the latest trendy lefty fad is, mm. is nonsense. So we do have to make sure that we take the right people in. Um, and it is bad to see look i have faith in pretty patel because pretty is is in the right place on this and she she speaks for a lot of people in this country and she's doing her best but it is frustrating that we're not making the progress on this but i'm hoping when we get the uh, immigration bill through it will make a decent difference yeah but do you really think it will because i mean you're basically threatening organized criminals organized crime with arrest and i mean they're not going to bother about that are they i mean it's now because it's the new drug smuggling for me it's people smuggling they're actually making more money than if they were smuggling cocaine they are. Look, let's just see what happens. Uh, but I really hope so. And I find this as frustrating as everyone else watching it, uh, because it's, you're just shouting on the TV saying, well, on earth can't we do something? Mm, yeah. So what do you think happens next, Bob? Um, would you be, if you were in the Cabinet Secretary's room right now, advising yeah. the government to just wash your hands of Afghanistan? What, what should we be doing? No, you, you can't do that, because uh, look, what's going to happen is, as I say, AQ and ISIS will score settle for a few months maybe a year or two, mm. but some of them will then start planning for the far enemy. That's us. Now, that might be India at first, because it's easy to get to India and the Pakistani ISI, the inter-services, the spy agencies in Pakistan, will, may smuggle people through to India. So it may be that actually India is the most vulnerable, and they are a big Western ally and important for everyone's future. But once that happens, you might then start seeing attacks on the US and, and Western interests in the Gulf, mm. Bahrain, uh, you know, very, uh, UAE, other centres of immorality and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, there will be a process of getting people and bombs and or uh, radicalising people in Europe uh, and in the United States. So the attacks, the, the big complex attacks or even the lone wolf attacks 
They may not start yet, but as sure as eggs is eggs, they will be coming. Yeah, it's a miserable thought, I'm afraid. But Bob, great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your very commonsensical views and, and your straight talking as well. Bob Seeley MP, one of the good guys uh, from the Isle of Wight, a member of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, of course, as well. Said some very, very provocative things there about the state we are in, uh, why we got here, how we got here, why we didn't do more to prevent what's just happened and what happens next. It's a big, big story, this. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.47, it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Dancing going on there. <laughs> Very good. I think it, it might be a bit of a warm up. It is yes, that time, yeah. yes. It's the Perrier Awards. Yes. And it's, it's rolling Yorkshire's finest. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to you nice too. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Excellent. Um, well, this is the Perry Awards where we look back on the so called Independent so Republic called. of Mike Graham mm. and choose our favourite moment. Yes. So, following tradition, uh, the first Perry Award goes to you, Mr. Graham. Thank you very much. For the wrong number of the week. Right. It's as simple as that. 0344 399, 499 I should say, 1000 yeah. uh, is the number. I uh, almost forgot it there for a minute. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how many times you can give out the wrong number? Yeah. Normally you just do it as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. For some reason I started a number and I knew I didn't know it. Don't know why. But you say it a million times a day. I know. Did you just, yeah. Is it like when you forget your bank pin? Something sometimes? like that. Yeah, 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 so yeah. It just suddenly goes out of your head. Yeah. You know, as I say, number of words we speak, it's surprising that it doesn't happen more often. Really. Yeah, that's true. That's very Because true. I'm not normally reading it. Or if mm. I wasn't, maybe I was about to read it and it wasn't there or something. Ah. Sometimes that can happen. Maybe. Mm. Oh, dear. Oh, well, well, yeah, I mean, you've said it right. Anyway, today, if anybody so. did call that number, you tell <laughs> us uh, who you got hold of because I don't know who's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, exactly. And if they did pick up, then, you know. Mm. Wrong number of the week. Yeah. Um, so the next period goes to Lisa Francesca Nand. Yes. Um, speaking to you live from a golf course. Mm. Uh, this is the award for the interruption of the week. ...and very difficult. I'm being told to be quiet now because there's golfers here. I'm, I'm live on the radio. Golfers? <laughs> there's Tell golfers, them. yeah. And I don't want to put them off their... Uh, <laughs> what do you even call it? I don't even know the terminology. Are they, pu- are they putting? Yeah. They're putting, yes, they're exactly yeah. putting. They've, well, tell them they should, be, they should be lucky I'm not there. It would be a lot noisier, to be honest. I don't know what's more important, their golfing game or my report on the travel situation. Well, I think, I think your report obviously is far more important. I'll, I'll, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Quite right. Very rude that man was as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sounded sounded very unfriendly. Uh, yeah. I mean, Lisa Francesca Nand helped, uh, held it very well. Uh, held dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, she told me, luckily, there was a couple of guys in the bar next door watching right. uh, who were big fans of the show. Oh. So apparently they went and gave the guy going over. Yeah. Oi. <laughs> Another victory for <laughs> the Independent is, Republic. Um, what's it called? Like, is it a tea? Hey? The, what you put in the uh, grass. You put a tea in the ground, yeah. yes. So if you take that away, then you can't play golf. Not right? entirely true. You can oh. hit the ball off the ground. Ah. Yeah. But, yeah, but when you start... You, you don't have to put it on a tee. There's okay. no rule that says you do. You can oh, hit it off the ground if you wish. Oh, well, there you go. You learn mm. something new there you every go. day. You don't know much about golf, do you? No. No, not almost nothing, all. in fact. Oh. <laughs> don't worry. It's okay. Maybe we could go and play crazy golf one day. We could. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan gets a Perrier Award for the rant of the week. Mm. They broke the law, but they broke the law because of the climate change emergency. <laughs> 
Very good. I like that voice. Yes. Yes. Mm. I don't know. Is he trying to do kind of like a, a Megan esque? Sort kind of. of. Person, well, you know, yeah. people like to to do some of the things that I do. They, they well, know they work if you do them well. Yes, that's true. Mm. You're leading the way. Yes, quite, again. Quite right. <laughs> uh, another award for yourself, Mike, for Thank the you. wrong greeting of the week. Good morning and welcome back. I should say good afternoon. That's the same time I've done that this week. I'm just looking for periods now. <laughs> yeah, it, I did do that twice, didn't I? Morning instead of afternoon. Yeah. It's easy to do. It is easy They've to done do. this deliberately. They've put my show across two different time zones in order to mess with my head. Well, that's true. Yeah. It, it's the same with me on the phone, so I'm like, good morning, yes. when it's clearly afternoon and yes. you can't be bothered to change your... Exactly right. You know, mm. well, people... I've told you about that before. You should stop being so nice to people. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Never mind saying good morning. Just get straight into it. what you want, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. I'll try that next week yes. then. Uh, so, Mike, um, you're yet again interrupting people and you should really stop doing this you know uh, we spoke to Dr Wali Aslam um, for yet another interruption of the week oh yes conversation that that would be okay yeah but let me just quickly finish the point I was making why what? if you can't make the point quickly <laughs> then you get a struggle on this show well that's that's true that's what true. was the point he was making um you can't remember no you see? there no. you go there's my proof <laughs> Nobody what, remembers what, what his point was. Well, there we go. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. And I suppose if you, if there's a pause in between the conversation, you can go straight yeah. in again. It's a conversation. It's not yeah. like me making a statement followed by somebody else making a statement. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true. Well, there we go. Yeah, it's a free-for-all. <laughs> uh, so the peri- this Perry Award goes to um, Julie Hartley Brewer for the wrong time of the week. Mm. Shadow Foreign Secretary, thank you for joining us. 9.32 is the time. Apologies, I don't know where I've got them in my head. 9.32 is the time. <laughs> Two hours out. I'm surprised Lisa Nandy didn't say, now you're just trying to be difficult, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's what she said to me. Uh, is that what she said? On yeah. air? Yeah, I'm an interview. Have you never seen my interview with her in the tent? No, I haven't actually. Well, you should look it up. Oh, I will do. It's on YouTube. Okay, I'll there have a look. Thank you. Uh, so, on the subject of the Nirvana um, album cover, yes. Julia Hartley Brewer finds herself accepting another award for the one-liner of the week. Likely is going to get it, as you say. Alex Watt, partner in intellectual property lawyer at Howard Kennedy. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, well, one person I think we hoping we never see naked in a swimming pool, <laughs> grabbing at a dollar bill at whatever age. I have been Mike naked Graham. in a swimming pool. Yes, I don't, no one needs... That's why I get, that's why I get villas. Breakfast. That's why you get villas, isn't it? You know, you come home after dinner, go for a dip. It's um, true. I don't want to hear... Uh, do we want to hear the end of that? Um, well, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with nudity in the right uh, arena. Well, Let's face it. <laughs> There's plenty wrong with it in the wrong arena, obviously. Well, mm. um, however people want to live their life, Mike, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, um, well, that's all for the Perry is Awards. Yes, it's a bit yes. of a bit of an unfortunate way to end, isn't it? It is. But um, there we are. Yes, we'll leave you with that thought. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mike, in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, all the best. Have a lovely bank all holiday weekend. <laughs> Are you not going to be here next week? <laughs> no, I will be. I uh, promise. You working a bank holiday? <laughs> I am. Good yeah. for you. Well done. We're getting yes. through to them finally. Oh, that's true. Uh, that's all for the Perry Awards. There will be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.